How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Hey, everyone. It's Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Today, I am here with Dan McRory. Um, this is going to be a, an interview um, that is it's really different for a, for a lot of reasons, and, and they're all positive. Dan is a, he's a former, uh, I'm sure he's still a current skateboarder, but he's a skater surfer. Um, he is a, um, an experienced artisan uh, in, in, uh, that he's been involved in, in, uh, in manufacturing clothing and shoes um, for decades now. Uh, and he started his own, he started as, a, as an apprentice at the age of 19 and had his own business. And it all kind of comes to a head about two and a half years ago where he and a couple of, maybe I just attributed him with surfing when a couple of surfers came, came mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Okay. He's right here. So you can hear it during the live read here of the intro. Uh, a couple of surfers came to him, the skater. Uh, they met fortuitously and through a, a unique series of events, managed to buy a manufacturing facility for all of $15,000. And, um, you know, they bought a, a manufacturing facility in Brooklyn. So it's a Brooklyn story, too. It's a manufacturing story. So it's a redemption of America story in many ways, too. Um, you know, they're bringing back a lot of a lot of, uh, of the crafts that are that are that used to be a way of life here um, that aren't a way of life in uh, in America anymore. Um, and they came together and they purchased this factory for, you're going to find out the number in a minute, or maybe I said it, I don't know, but you're going to find out the number, maybe you just found out the number, uh, and, uh, and, and just through, through hard work and spirit and entrepreneurship have created an amazing culture and have made a, their own brands and a variety of other brands go. It's, it's almost like a, um, a, a, a clothing manufacturing co-working space slash laboratory uh, slash uh, uh, community. And, and uh, it's a fascinating story. So um, buckle up because uh, here we go. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So Dan, thanks so much for thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. We've interviewed many firms on the show. Um, you know, they've raised tens of millions of dollars at times, and then every once in a while, you know, we're reminded that companies can get off the ground with a lot less. Tell us the story of how Knickerbocker got started with fifteen thousand dollars and some ingenuity. Uh, yeah. So well, you know, um, because I think there's three of us involved in starting this. There's probably three different stories on how it started. Um, so for me, the story for me on how this started is, uh, uh, you know, I had a uh, I had a studio in uh, in Brooklyn, and I was doing shoe stuff, shoe repair, shoe making, uh, some moccasins, uh, you know, uh, uh, shoe related stuff, whatever that is, and um, 
had a little studio. It was kind of by an appointment, uh, on appointment basis. Um, anyway, I had done a collaboration with some friends in California that had a skate shop, and uh, we did a video that went to Hypebeast. Um, and uh, so Andrew, one of my partners in the space, uh, saw that online. And so he hit me up and was like, hey, you know, uh, I saw your video. We should get together. I want to do, I have a store in Williamsburg. I want to do some leather good stuff. And I wasn't really doing, like, I was kind of shoe focused at the time. I was like, all right, well, I'll come and uh, check it out, see what you guys are doing. And I went down there, and it was like this young crew from (laughs) San Diego. I mean, AJ was 19 years old. uh, And I I was like, dude, these guys are super inspiring and just like going for it they didn't like there was no fear you know they just like they had a storefront they were selling vintage they were reconstructing stuff they were having stuff manufactured um and you know just like whatever i mean aj had started uh doing t-shirts uh at school and he was like all right fuck this i'm out you know and and did his own thing um and uh so anyway I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's, let's do something. This is, you guys are awesome. I'm super inspired. Let's do something. Uh, so we did, um, in the meantime, uh, AJ, uh, had found, uh, the factory that we currently have, uh, Watman Headwear Corp. And he had found it in an old, uh, manufacturer's directory. Uh, the kind of thing that is like in print. It's got a phone number, you know. Uh, no, you know, ninety um, percent or more. Of those places don't even exist anymore. Right. Um, and so he just uh, he went and found this place, and it was happened to be there. He found it seeking a manufacturer for his for his lines. Of yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was looking for a manufacturer for for caps and right. headwear, and uh, so so he went to this place, and I guess he knocked on the door, and and Felix, who still. Uh, is a is like a fixture at Knickerbocker. Uh, came to the door with a mask on and you know like a dust mask and and it was real dark and it's there is a cage you know to right. like it right inside the door there's a cage you got to get through and he was like whoa what is this place went in and Felix gives him a hug you know and uh, Stephen was there and and I mean at the time it was basically just the two of them. And uh, every once in a while, there was a couple ladies that would come in and help when there was enough work. This is when it's still the Watman Manufacturing Company. Yeah, exactly. Stephen is the is the owner, and, and Felix is kind of the operator and the manufacturer. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so Felix had been working for the Watmans for like 30 years um, and started with Stephen's father. Um, and then Stephen took over eventually. And at this point, um, Stephen's kids weren't interested in, in taking it on. And... Uh, um, here's AJ, this 19-year-old guy with a ton of energy and really just, just wandered in off the street. Here. Yeah, just like <laughs> this just, guy. Yeah, walks <clears throat> in and and like, uh, um, you know, kind of comes uh, at it with this like uh, whole whole fresh face. And uh, um, so he so he gets into this thing where he's always like every time AJ goes in there, he's trying to sell him the place. Or he's like, oh, you're young, you guys you know what's cool, like, you know what to do, you know, I have no idea, I, you know, I don't know what to do with this anymore, it's not working, and, uh, you know, you have access to the market, there's a market, and there was, um, but he didn't, you know, really have access to it, um, so one day, yeah, one day we were talking about it, and he's like, yeah, the old guy's trying to sell me the place again, and, and we were like, wait, you know, m- like, maybe we should talk to this guy, you know, and see what, see what happens, and he, you know, so, so we did. Um, 
Next so, so you and two partners go down to go down and, and and say, hey, let's let's talk to this guy about buying his shop. Like, it, it was was it even cl- remotely close to your imagination until you said it, just kind of on a lark? Not even, no, not at all. It was right. a total lark. And I have I have a picture on my Instagram uh, when AJ was like, you gotta come and see this place, you know. <laughs> and uh, I at the time lived down the street. And uh, so, this so is in Bushwick, right? This is in Bushwick. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're technically in Ridgewood, but it's like I mean, I think the back of the factory is Bushwick, and the front is okay. Ridgewood. I don't know how it works. <laughs> the line is right there. And uh, it's cool to be in Bushwick. I think is that right? Well, it is, but I don't know for long. Yeah. I think Ridgewood's getting pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Being down there, I feel like Ridgewood is super cool. Well, you can, whenever you feel like you need that coolness fix, you can just walk to the other side of the factory. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, um, I interrupted you. So you guys, so you, so the, so you own a lark. You, you basically go down three. You guys, and it was yeah. So it was three of us. So so it just kind of fortuitously was this timing. The timing worked out where um, I was moving into a space uh, to sort of consolidate where I lived and where I worked. I had to, you know, I had an apartment and a studio, um, and I got this this big live work loft. And uh, uh, so I had just moved out of my studio. Uh, my other uh, partner, Kyle. Um, was moving out of his studio, uh, so it just it just kind of was this great timing for all three of us, and so we went down um, and talked to Stephen, and it was kind of like this thing where we didn't really talk about it in advance a whole lot. It was kind of like we just like met there and and went into the office and then started talking about it. Um, so we, collectively, we hadn't really like we didn't really have we didn't have like a game plan like right. all right this is what's going down and this is what you know this is our you know where we're gonna like what we're gonna offer and it was just kind of this thing where you know he threw you know out a number um, I think it might have been twenty five thousand or something like that and uh and it was like well how about fifteen and he was like stuck his hand out and we were like oh shit we're doing this <laughs> and I mean I don't even think like. Uh, it's so funny because I'm not, I can't, you know, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think we even had like any money together yet. And right. And it was like, so, um, so when it was, you know, say 15000 so that's what it cost for us to. Yeah, so what, what did you, what did tell, give me the whole thing. Like, what did you get for, for $15,000? You shook this man's hand. Yeah. You had to come up with the money. Yeah. But, but so we'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah. but what did you, what did you get? Like, what, what is the Watman, it was, what, what was the Watman Manufacturing Company at the, is that what it's called? Watman Manufacturing Company at the time. Yeah. Um, what did you, what did you just buy? Like, and, you know. Well, it's funny because we, you know, and part of it too is that we really didn't have much of an idea. I mean, other than, okay, this guy has had a factory in the family for 60 years. There's got to be some kind of, you know, there's, uh, so what we did get was equipment, um, which having gone in there is is a little so bit where. Like, I, I mean, in, in layman's terms, because we're not going to understand all the equipment, I'm no. assuming, but I mean, what kind of equipment are you are you getting? Are you getting I mean, sewing we machines, got, I guess? And, and Yeah, we got sewing machines, uh, heat presses, clicker press, uh, kick presses. We got, um, you know, metal back clasps that in all of our lifetimes combined we would never use. I mean, we got the treasure and the trash and it was like right you know it was like this place that was just filled and we couldn't even really see what was there at, at how, the many, how many square feet was it eight thousand square feet eight thousand square feet so it's a huge space it's a huge space yeah and, yeah and, and, and 
and it was and I'm assuming you don't have the steel cage anymore uh, oh yeah we do you do <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's it's a way more inviting believe me yeah yeah so okay, so you got all these all these presses, and and then you've got a ton of their old inventory as well. Yeah. So so as we start going through all the all the junk, I mean, there's stuff in bags and boxes. We don't even know what's what. Um, we start finding stuff that is useful, stuff that we don't know if it's useful or not. Um, stuff that we've thrown away that now we realize was very okay. useful. <laughs> um, and then I mean, we had. Uh, we we donated uh, at least ten thousand hats. Wow! Um, yeah, so there were these boxes of like a dozen hats in in these boxes, and then those boxes were in boxes. How do you donate ten thousand hats? With a U-Haul cube van, and you try to like you know not everybody wants to take that much stuff either. So right, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm wondering. Well, yeah, were they were they scared? But scared of the, the number of like, we don't have ten thousand heads to put these hats on. Sure. Yeah, but I mean a lot of them, you know. Um, so yeah, we had uh, we you know uh, one trip was to uh, the Salvation Army, and it was like uh, at the end of the day they were they were either just closing or they should have closed already. It was kind of like we were you know just barely made it, and we pulled up with this big cube van and and uh, had uh, you know sort of like um, hey guys we you know. You, you got 10 minutes? <laughs> Meanwhile, we got this whole van filled in its boxes, so we stacked it, like, floor to ceiling, front to back. Like, it was packed. And uh, and they were just, they were like, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's the end of the day. You can come back. You know, this sucks. And then uh, they start opening up boxes, and it's like uh, um, they start finding stuff that, like, they remember that was cool when they were kids. And so they got really excited, and it was really neat that, like, so we got a lot of history in this place. We got stuff that's, like, um, you know, that, like, uh, those guys got a little bit of a flashback to their childhood. Uh, we got an education on, you know, um, uh, some, some what real dead stock is, and, you know, you know, and sort of, like, um, you know, there's places like that everywhere, like, all over the place that... You know these things. These things die out. When I started uh, as a craftsman or a creative uh, person, uh, you know, for uh, you know, for my job, uh, it was at a time when uh, it wasn't very common. I mean, the guys. I started off in shoe repair, and uh, I was really lucky. I was 19, and I I got to work with this guy Ross McWigan, who was like a, a craftsman, and he was. Uh, you know, he was a second generation, uh, and it was at a time where you did shoe repair either because you were a craftsman or you could drink at work. You know, it was like uh, that was your, that was the, that was the range. Right. And, uh, I mean, I was probably the youngest guy by two generations, you know, for some of that. Some right. Of that. Um, I ended up with my own shop a number of years later uh, where I, you know, uh, decided to... Um, you know, leave the place I was at. I was at an orthotic prosthetic clinic and uh, thought, you know, um, when I'm an old man, I'm going to have my own shop. And I was like, wait, what am I waiting for? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I so I found an old shop. Ross helped me find it. Uh, this guy that was ready to retire and uh, basically already had. I think he was sleeping in there. Right. And because, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, I knocked on the window and it was all closed up and he was like, peeking through the you know the shades like right. uh, so I go give me a minute and to That's put hilarious. some pants on and uh, 
So it's your introduction to entrepreneurship. You're like, okay, I'm going to buy this shop yeah. uh, from a guy who might not be, he may be asleep and may not be wearing pants. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, uh, so I bought his shop, and then, uh, and then I ended up buying the building off of the lady uh, who was renting me the space. Um, and then I renovated the building. It was, uh, you know, two shops on the main floor and a two-bedroom apartment upstairs, standalone little brick building. Um, and that was sort of my little intro to, um, yeah, being my own boss and, and managing my own, you know, right. affairs. And um, but I got to a point where I realized, okay, if I, I need some help. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, because I'm already working from, you know, when I get up in the morning until one in the morning, right. and then I go to bed and I get up and do it again. And I'm like, you know, I want to. I need. I was 24 at the time. I'm like, I need a life. Right. I, you know, I want to hang out. I want to go shoot some pool, you know? And, uh, you know, so that was at a time where I was like, okay, well, um, I need some help. And I, uh, the old guys wouldn't come and work for me because I'm some kid. Right. And, uh, and I couldn't, you know, uh, you know, beg or beat some young person into, like, coming and learning this stuff. Right. Um, you know, because there is a there's a learning curve. You don't you don't just pick it up and do it. You got to learn, and you don't get paid much, if anything, to begin with. You know, um, whereas now, it's a it's a totally different story. Right. People would be banging the door down. Right. Just to get you know, I'd have my pick, which so now we do. So right. it's like this. Uh, uh, we have this great little culture and community there where it's a lot of people that are young. Right. Uh, they all have their own individual uh, pursuits. If you've been listening to this podcast for the past 20 weeks, you know that we appreciate entrepreneurs of all different shapes and sizes. We've heard from venture-backed entrepreneurs and my personal favorite, the bootstrappers. Last week, I had the pleasure of meeting the founder and CEO of LD Products, Aaron Leon, and his story was pretty fascinating. As a 21-year-old student at USC, Aaron began buying and selling aftermarket ink and toner cartridges from his dorm room. His company started out shipping about eight orders a day and soon grew to meet demand. By the time Aaron graduated in 2000, he was ready to rent his first office. Fast forward to today, LD Products is located in Long Beach, California, has acquired its largest competitor, expanded its product line to include office supplies, and is now approaching $100 million in annual revenue. Pretty enviable. Even in its 16th year, LD Products continues to maintain its startup vibe. They now ship over 6 million cartridges a year, while LD Products provides both name brand products as well as aftermarket, meaning remanufactured and compatible, ink toners and cartridges these days, it remains true to its roots of keeping quality office supplies affordable without sacrifice. In fact, the company touts savings of, uh, for its customers of up to 70% over brand name printer, printer supplies. On top of that, its Long Beach, California-based corporate headquarters fulfillment center was the first platinum lead certified building in the new construction commercial category in the United States. LD Products cares about the environment and helps to keep oil, plastics, and waste out of landfills by remanufacturing them for reuse. After meeting Aaron and telling him about the podcast, he wanted to offer Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast listeners, free shipping and an additional 10% off their competitive ink and toner prices at LD Products. Some businesses, like mine, spend up to 50% of their office supply budget on ink and toner alone. By using LD brand products, you could cut those costs in half. Use promo code SMART at checkout. Offer valid through December 31st, 2015, excluding OEM, free shipping to the contiguous United States. 
This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast, a show about entrepreneurs and their stories. So things are, things have basically come full circle. You started as the apprentice, mm-hmm. and uh, and you worked you worked hard and had your first shot at entrepreneurship, and then um, and then you you know kind of you know fortuitously came back to the point where you're like now a, a, you've got many people somewhat appre- apprenticing under you at, at, at or, uh, you yeah know, officially and unofficially through their own brands. So yeah. let, let, let's let's go back. I want to talk about mm-hmm. where you um, you know you got this like. You're 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 you finally cleaned up, uh, <laughs> you know, at at uh, at what was then you know the Watman Headwear Corp or Watman Manufacturing Corp. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other thing that I'm curious about, I mean, do you think that this was because? Do you think that you you clean up the place, you you get this deal, you clean up the place? Do you think that that was this deal? If I had wandered in off the street and been like, hey, I'm interested in hats, I mean, would would this guy have been like, yeah, you know, take the place, fifteen thousand bucks, or was there something about you know? What you guys brought? I mean, was this, was this guy happy to give it to you guys because of your you know your your sincere interest in in the field? Absolutely, I think I think he, I think you know what? I, honestly, I think you probably could have mm-hmm. uh, because I think he was at a point where he didn't he just didn't want to just let it go mm-hmm. for nothing and just have this disappear into like thin air. Um, but it, he, I mean, he was he was he couldn't have been more happy that. Uh, AJ specifically, because like I said, he had been working with him and they had a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you know AJ to uh, to come around and be like this, you know, um, this sort of like uh, breathe some new life into mm-hmm. this thing that his father had created, and it was all it needed was a new direction, you know, and uh, and that's what we gave it, mm-hmm. and and it just sort of like became this whole other thing. So so you guys you guys had committed to this fifteen thousand dollars. You didn't have fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. so you went out and you you started a Kickstarter campaign. I mean is that, is that how you, you bought is that how you bought the company or was that just to get going once you had the company? That was just to get going once we okay. had the company. So okay. So where'd you guys get the I mean can I ask where'd you guys get the money from to, to put down the bound to, to pay out the Watman Headwear Corp and, and and start over? I mean I can't really get into that. Okay. I mean I'm gonna you know I got. I don't want to get in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just borrow. You know, I mean, for me, I just bor- I borrowed from uh, my parents. Right. Um, and uh, so you guys all just borrowed a little bit of money from friends and family, put yeah. it together, and said, "Hey, we really think this can work." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 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 at, and then I got to a point where we were we really needed some capital, which I mean, and you know, it's funny because uh, fifteen thousand dollars. I mean, even now, only a couple of years later, I look at that and I go, Jesus. I mean, what do we? What would we even do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like nothing. Mm-hmm. At the time, a hundred bucks was a mm-hmm. big. You know, I'm like, oh, I got a hundred bucks to burn. You know, so fifteen grand seemed like a lot. Right. Um. And and we were also just like really passionate and energetic about it. So we did everything. Right. You know, we didn't have any money, so we just made everything. Everything that's there, we made it, or we fixed it. You know, I mean, I've gotten. You know, we've all gotten good at fixing the machines and like I was going to ask that like what do you do with a hundred year old machine when it breaks like is it is it is it easy to fix impossible to fix uh well I mean see the thing is with those hundred year old machines they very rarely break Hmm. um the the ones that that give us problems are stuff that we have that are like newer computerized uh stuff that have uh, a lot more moving parts and those are all new enough that we can get parts we do have 
you know, a couple mechanics that we've used. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent my 20s uh, doing, like, hot rods and motorcycles and stuff like that, too. So I had a little bit of a, um, a mechanical mind to begin with, and, uh, and that helped a lot. So when the mechanic would come, I would watch with an eagle eye because we didn't have any money. Right. So the next time that happened, I would try and fix it. It's amazing. What I mean, that really is. I mean, that, that really is scrappy entrepreneurship at its best. You know. Oh yeah. Um, that's really cool. What? Uh, so okay. So you guys, you guys clean up the factory, and and then you and then you change the name um, mm-hmm. to Knickerbocker Manufacturing um, from you know from the Wattman Head co- Headwear Corp. Tell me why you changed the name and how you picked Knickerbocker. Well, uh, we were com- doing a complete change uh, as far as uh, not only direction but um, the process. Um, you know, of of making the caps. Um, and, you know, it was uh, what what was happening there before was they would make a big bunch of stuff and then try and sell it. Uh, whereas what we were trying to do was uh, get orders for stuff, make it. You know, when <laughs> it's sold, that seems so in, so so intuitive. And yet, it's it's <laughs> not, it's not the way people always do it. Yeah, no, sure. and it's I modern mean, manufacturing. Right it's there. modern. Yeah, with, whereas, with old equipment, it's modern manufacturing. Yeah. yeah, and so and but that's not how they did it. Right. You know, and or not how everyone did it. A right. lot of people made stuff in bulk and then tried to sell it off. Um, and so that's sort of like that was the, you know, that was their what they were doing. Um, also, uh, in the beginning. We uh, we were doing baseball caps, um, and so the story about the name is Knickerbocker um, y- is a slang word for a New Yorker, um, it, or it used to be. Uh, when uh, you know the the Dutch wore those big crazy pants, those were right. called those were Knickerbockers. Okay, and so I that's I where I knew that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's where the term Knickerbocker came from as a slang for a New Yorker. Um, and then, uh, like in the 1850s, uh, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club uh, was the first team to wear unified hats or caps. Okay. And so they started the baseball cap. So for us, it just it just made sense that you know we we're going to take this whole thing, you know, uh, reinvent it, start off with baseball caps. You know, we're in New York. So Knickerbocker. So, so this is day one. I mean, th- you're, you're right. It sounds. <laughs> you're like, yeah. So Knickerbocker. Like, it sounds so <laughs> obvious. And like, it actually does. I mean, that name has a lot of heritage here. That makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. What? So, I mean, was that was that day one? We changed the name. We just like day one when you when you close the open doors. You're like, we're now Knickerbocker, and let's go. Nah. I mean, we we. Took a while. Yeah, we we thought about it, and we we looked into it. We you know we bounced a whole bunch of crazy things around as far as you know what we were gonna do or s- say or call it or whatever. Um, and uh, I mean, we we, th- we spent two months, I think, like from the beginning when we got in there. Right. Uh, we spent two months just clearing everything out. Right. Uh, cleaning up, scraping paint two off the months. ceiling. Oh yeah, this place was. I wish. Yeah. I mean, we do have photo- photos actually of like. Are they were online. Can we direct anyone to them or no? Uh oh, probably not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. It was uh, it was it was amazing. Like the difference too when it was all cleared out, and then we started to rent to other um, uh, makers and designers as well. Right. Yeah. So okay, and, and and so tell me about the Kickstarter. So when did you guys determine you do this big Kickstarter campaign? Um, and what was the what was the thought process behind you know like why fifteen thousand dollars? You know what was that gonna what was the what were the proceeds gonna do for you or? You know, give me, give me the you guys, because you guys ran a successful Kickstarter campaign fairly early on, I think. Right? Yeah, it was. Excuse me, it was it was very early on. Um, excuse me, um, it was early on, but uh, um, 
and and it, to be honest, I don't really know where fifteen thousand came from. I think we pulled out our phones and calculators on our phone and thought, oh hey, you know what, fifteen thousand will do it. <laughs> you know, so it was probably some 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 crazy idea. We also had uh, uh, the idea that we were gonna do, um, you know, bring in uh, like a state of the art embroidery machine. Um, so the cost probably lent itself to that as well. Um, and uh, which you know, in hindsight, that wouldn't have, you know that wouldn't even have covered what we really should have gotten if, had we got that. Right. Um, around the time that uh, we ended up uh, getting the Kickstarter, uh, uh, our neighbors got like an eight-head embroidery machine. So we worked it out with them that they you know they're doing some embroidery for us, and it works out great. Um, and so because it's a whole other business. Right. And uh, and it's sort of a uh, in the beginning, for a second, we thought, all right, we're going to try and do everything and realize we need to do one thing well. Last week, I told you about three Venture for America fellows who started a company called Compass. You can check them out at hellocompass.com. Compass helps connect customers to talented freelancers who help build affordable websites using tools like Squarespace. Recently, they were telling me about a client named Tracy. She worked for a travel agency for years and then caught the entrepreneurial bug and decided to start her own business. She had all of these loyal clients, but no way to keep them engaged and create awareness that she was now independent. She didn't know much about building websites. Tracy thought that she could never afford a great website, but wanted something that was professionally designed and easy to use. Using Squarespace, a Compass designer created Travelin' Tracy, T-R-A-V-L-I-N, Tracy.com, a beautiful, engaging website that helped Tracy connect with her clients. Now Tracy, now Tracy says, and I quote, my dreams are coming true thanks to her beautiful Squarespace site designed by Compass. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power Tracy's site, ensuring security and stability. It's affordable, starting at only $8 a month with a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SMART to get 10% off your per- your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast, a show about entrepreneurs and their stories. What? So you guys, um, you know, you clean up the factory and then you launch the... And it's a it's a little hard uh, for the, for for the outside to understand, but there's sort of the Knickerbocker manufacturing space, and then there's like the Knickerbocker clothing company brand, mm-hmm. um, and you guys start this brand, um, and then you know like like what like what goes into um, into you know building a successful clothing brand because I know that because like, you guys are doing like small I mean the whole thing is small batch, yeah, um, like really you know, like. Uh, significant handmade. I mean, I've got this beautiful hat in front of me right here that you brought. Um, you know, clearly, like uh, you know, a lot of labor has gone into this with the stitching, etc. Um, so, you know, like like how do you how do you build this? How do you build a, a brand that sort of has smallness in its intentionality? Like where, where you're, you're saying, look, we're not going to be, um, I don't know, you know, Levi's jeans. We're we're, we're it, it's 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 like a sort of. Um, Counterintuitive, but also very intuitive. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, you know, we're going to do something very, very well, um, but that has its that has its limits. So, how do you start building? Uh, I've got fifteen thousand questions within this long uh, soliloquy here, but yeah. how do you start building a, a small brand like that? Well, I think I think it just uh, for us. Uh, I think that's something that you determine organically. 
um, and things. There are all kinds of uh, exterior factors that influence uh, the, you know, the direction that you're gonna go. Um, for us, we have this space, we have this equipment, um, and we're limited to that. Uh, that also gives us the right. freedom to do certain things. So, for we tried all different kinds of approaches to. Uh, making things, producing stuff, processes, uh, flow, um, you know, and for us, small batch works best. It's, it's, uh, uh, more efficient, um, because we, there's, there may be, <laughs> pardon me, bless you. That's live. That's, that's live. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there may be, uh, um, you know, there may be more moving around, which is not necessarily good for flow, but you're also not sitting in one place all day long. Um, so you, you know, for the human to, uh, you know, focus uh, efficiently or like very creatively and intensely on something, you've got a minute and a half, mm -hmm. you know, and then you need a break. Mm -hmm. Otherwise your eye starts to deteriorate, you know, your attention to detail starts to deteriorate, your fine motor skills start to deteriorate. So you need to get up and move around. You need to have other stimulus. Um, so we started moving around and, and also with the small batch, uh, one person makes basically the whole thing. Right. Um, so, so they're more involved in the process. There's a lot more uh, ownership. Uh, we have clients that you know, ask for certain makers Right. For, oh, their, interesting. for their product, hmm. um, which is something you have no, you know, like you, you, you go to a store and you pick something up off a shelf um, and, you know, there's this whole story behind it that people probably a lot of times don't even realize. Right. And uh, so for us that we hope that some of that comes through in some way or another. I mean, when you, like if, if I place an order for, I don't know, you know, like if I'm a store, can I place mm -hmm. an order for twelve caps? Is it, is it, is it, can, I, can I do something that? Or can I? Does oh, it, absolutely. Is there, and so, I mean, I'm going to charge you for twelve caps, uh, like more, right? Uh, because it is. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot of a lot of work involved in everything leading up to the actual production of this stuff. Right. So we got to have. Oh my God! Like I have email threads that are. I don't even want to say how long <laughs> with clients that uh, you know before we even get to making something. Right. You know, so there's so if you're doing twelve hats, yeah, for sure we'll do that. Right, and that's kind of where we have specialized in is uh, there there has and always or like there always has uh, been places in the U.S. that you can get, you know, five thousand hats made. That's right. not a, you know, that's not you know, that's, there's nothing new about that. That's been around. That hasn't gone anywhere. Right, um, but. Uh, uh, to get 12 hats made, there's not very many places. And when we started, I don't know if there was any. Right. And uh, so that's sort of like where we, that was our So your sweet spot sweet is like, spot. Is, is under what? Like if I, like what's a, what's a, what's an unreasonably smaller, <laughs> like, like, like if, is, is, not, is, is someone going to, no, but I, I guess what I mean is for, for a major manufacturer, I mean, is, like, I guess, okay, let me, let me put it the other way. What's a big order? Is it 500, it's 500 hats? Oh yeah. Big order? So yeah. So if we, if we're, yeah, um, producing something over 500, uh, that's difficult for us. Right. Yeah. So, so we, yeah, we prefer to do smaller quantities. Um, we can charge more. Um, there's, uh, it's a lot more creative. Um, it you know and because we are a small 
space we only we can only have so many people in there and they can only do so much work right you know it's like you know one man can only do so much so and how uh, many like how many people if i ordered 500 hats i mean how many different people would you have to have working on it and how long would it take uh well uh i would like to say that you know uh one person could probably do you know maybe 10 to 16 hats a day depending on what stage they get those hats right. and what the com you know the complexity of the hat is right um so it's not very much it's not it's not a lot right it's you incredible. know yeah and uh so you know when you consider of a uh, factory that can produce you know five thousand in a week that's a lot of people and a lot of hands right and that's that's nobody's moving around right i mean because we've experimented a lot with flow too where it's like what's the you know it takes more time to move from here to there than to stay here and keep working but you lose something at a certain point we break up we break everything up to uh 25 pieces yeah and so and that's and kind of the max that we work on at one time so if you order 250 pieces that's 20 25 you know broken up into pieces of or jobs that are 25 pieces it, it just it seems like it's like I'm, I'm kind of awed by this al already. That, that there's, you know, like I, there's a, someone out there in New York City, in the Greater New York, you know, really doing old school manufacturing with old school machines. But I mean, aside from you know, I guess doing press and stuff like that, you know, uh, how are people like? Are are people? Are you constantly engaging people who are cus potential customers who are surprised that things are done this way, or, or, or is, uh, has this has this clientele somehow identified you as someone who who does something that's really really unique? Um, well, that's interesting because uh, um, my partner uh, AJ is like a you know he's like a genius with the with the you know modern uh, social media and and he's gotten our. Um, story out there. Right, let me inter let me interject and say that you should we should go to the site and listen to the watch the video uh, that has an Edward Sharp uh, song going to it and and uh, and watch the video that has the um, the Bukowski, uh poetry going going behind it. I mean, it's it's chilling stuff. It's really uh, it's really inspiring. Like I watched it yesterday and was and was uh, was really like you guys know what you're doing with the uh, the video camera and some <laughs> and, and some editing oh, yeah. <laughs> equipment as well outside of outside of the mastery of the uh, of the of the sewing machines and presses you guys are, are are great with with media as well mm -hmm. so sorry go ahead no absolutely and and that's like uh, uh you know that's such an important part of uh the whole picture right now uh and that's one of the beautiful things about coming together and why it were made by us in new york and not right. made in new york uh is because it it's taken all of us Right. You know, um, right. well, yeah. Let's let. Uh, sorry, let's talk about it because I'm asking you questions and then cutting you off and not letting you answer them. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but let's. Have, I mean, you guys seem to have a, a really unique culture. Uh, you know, in this, so it's eight again, like eight thousand square feet of space. And um, how many people are working there in a day? Like, uh, uh, oh, I don't. I don't even know. Okay. I don't even know. We have a bunch of different brands renting space there. There. I mean, it's not huge. I, I bet you. On uh, average day, there's well, I'd say less than fifty. Okay, so fifty people. I mean, it's it's almost like a brand co-working space. The way like mm -hmm. there's co-working for for um, you know for for offices now. I mean you got co-working where but you guys happen to own some of the brands and then you rent it out to others. Mm -hmm. um, 
But you know, you're trying to create a pretty specific culture, right? You got the half pipe, uh, you know, where you, where you can you can you can skateboard. On. You got <laughs> you got uh, you got the you know yeah, like you just said, you know, made by us in New York. It's not made in New York. It's made by us in New York. Is is the is the um, is the the motto? Yeah. Um, and you mentioned earlier on the hug in, hug out. So I want to talk <laughs> about that. But I mean, how have you? How have you? Especially because you've got all these different brands under one roof. How have you cultivated a culture? How have you made the culture what you want it to be? Uh, okay, so this I thought I thought really hard about this because um, I think I think creating a culture is really important. I think it's important for efficiency. It's important for uh, morale. It's important for all kinds of things. But you can't bullshit it. I mean, if you you know if you're a dick. You, you know, it's going to be a shitty work environment. Um, if you, you know, if you care about people and and you take steps to improve everybody's uh, situation, um, you teach and you learn and you give and you take and you, uh, yeah, we hug in, we hug out. Um, so everyone who enters that building gets a hug every day? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. If, in, in case anyone wants a free hug, you can, you know, yeah. go down to the Knickerbocker Manufacturing Company. And totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and it's one of those things where, yeah, we have a ramp there, um, which uh, somebody's on that every day. Um, there's been times where there where it wasn't like that, um, but, it you know, it's like, I mean, it's like a toy, right? You know, it gets... You know, everybody's on it all the time at one point, and then it kind of fizzles out, and then it's back. Uh, we have uh, we turn our shipping table into a ping pong table on the daily. Like, if you want to take a break, you can go and have a ping pong game or get on the skate ramp. Um, we do like factory wide with all the brands, like a uh, ping pong tournament. You know, I mean, we're just it's like, uh, um, but that's not uh, it's not something that we actively were like. How can we, you know, what are we looking for and how can we create that? Right. I mean, we do that um, in other aspects of the business, uh, but not necessarily in the culture. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's sort of just like, you know, you give what you want to get and, you know, and you get that back. If so you don't, people don't last long. So, well, you know. yeah. So when you when you bring another brand into your home, so to speak, how do you make sure that they do? You guys try to make sure that they're really culturally a fit as well, or is it like, hey, they want to rent space, they want to rent space, you know, whatever. Well, we try, we try, yeah. we really do. Uh, we want it to be good for uh, our own businesses because uh, that's important. Uh, we want to be able to uh, um, help each other out. Uh, we also, you know, it's nice to be friends with these people. Um, but sometimes you don't know them and sometimes you don't know. I mean, we've had people there that don't necessarily fit, but like I said, they just don't necessarily last either, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't, you know, if it's not a fit for you, you're not going to stick around for long, you know? Right. No, I think, I think, I think that's fair. I've, I've got a, I've, I've got a few, uh, a few quotes here. Okay. So I got, I've got, <laughs> uh, I've got one from your partner, AJ, I, be I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so he says, uh, he said to a blogger, quote, with all this material materialistic bullshit in the world, more importantly than anything is, is soul. You've got to have soul. The goal is to create something that hopefully means as much to others as it does to yourself. <laughs> okay? Um, <laughs> it's that, poetic, yeah. It's, it's, it is actually pretty pretty poetic. Totally. I mean, um, you know, I mean, so how do you, is it just this, is this just this love of craft that is, that is going to, is that's going to, you're hoping is going to resonate with, with another person? Like as, as an, as, as someone who's, who's experiencing, um, a hat, a shirt, like how do I, 
know that like how how are how are you facilitating that brand connection with with an with a human being? Well, this is this is why you can go to our site and see yeah. these videos, and it's uh, and it, it shows is something you. else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's uh, and it's an ensemble. So you, ha- I mean, that those are the you know you know the brilliant brain you know like imagination of AJ. So it's, it's when someone has things. to, when someone understands the story, and someone understand, then someone uh, someone understands the love that goes into it, and then they'll feel more compelled to to identify with the brand and go. Well, sure, and but it takes everybody. So right. so somebody, you know, he creates these this beautiful picture of what we do, but and then but then there's the people that have to make that right. as well, and they have to be it, that has to be just as beautiful and intentional as well. Um, it's uh the difference is uh people i i've worked at factories i worked at two factories actually i worked at a jean factory where i sewed this line okay right here i'm looking at it okay that <laughs> line right here that sews <laughs> the, the the pocket bag okay on, uh and that's what i did all day um and i worked at another factory where at the, where they made cowboy boots and ropers and i had i had four sections there um but those are the stations that i worked at all day uh, so I know what that's like, uh, and there's not a lot of soul to that. Right. Um, and I didn't last very long there. Right. Um, but when you make something from start to finish, it's impossible to do that well if you don't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you right. do, it's impossible not to like. Even if it, I mean, you know, we got people that are starting, and it and it looks like a marble bag. It doesn't look like a hat. Right. But you're like, dude, that's awesome, you know. And they're stoked. I mean, right. it's like there's something really amazing about putting a bunch of f- cut up flat pieces of fabric together, coming out with a hat. Right. It's pretty cool. Next quote here. <laughs> this is from Dan McRory, our very guest, right here. <laughs> This is not a model to make a lot of money. We're doing something well. That's what we're doing here. But where does money come into play? I mean, do you have do you have personal goals and and and, and business goals for Knickerbocker as a space as a brand as your your own brand as well? You've got your own yeah. your own your own business running within Knickerbocker as well. Absolutely, I do. I mean, uh, you know, money. I've got a uh, you know, I got bills to pay. Um, uh, part of being, uh, you know. Uh, a part of these things and then having my own external things aside from this is that I have you know a lot of bills to pay um, so I need to I need to make sure that gets done uh, but the, I think the difference is that nobody has to be there doing this mm-hmm. um, I can get my bills paid some other way um, I do it because I love it um, and I enjoy it and uh, and I get to give and and I get a lot from it um, I think the people that that work there also they don't have to be there and they 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 could do better somewhere else if, if they're trying to just make some money um, but they're learning something and as long as they're there learning something it's a uh, it's an opportunity for everyone we also bring usually people in that that have uh, their own creative endeavors aside from working for us and they have access to our equipment which I mean when I when I started doing this that was you know, there's there was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had that opportunity where um, anything I thought of I could do. I mean, you can make anything at the shop. Um, and sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, I mean we're talking about financial goals, but I think, oh. I think what you're saying is there's really like a combination of financial goals and some some, some personal spiritual goals in the sense that you want to keep this going and keep and keep people who love this in in the in the community. For sure. So. Um, 
one thing that I've learned uh, for myself is that um, there's a there w- you know there's a lot of things in this world that I can be happy doing. Uh, and I used to, you know, I mean, I've I've lived as an artist. I'm like, I'm proud of how far I can take twenty dollars, right? You know, and uh, uh, but I used to make uh, you know very passionate decisions about what I'm doing with my time and my life, and and uh, whatever happens, happens. I'm starting to think a little bit differently. Where I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm very passionate about this. I I I like this. Um, now, you know can I make a living at mm-hmm. it? And if not, well, then I'm probably going to find something else or another way of doing it. Right. Um, so uh, in my in my fr- future, for my own personal and business goals, I don't care if I have an empire or if I have a little shop with one person, mm-hmm. as long as, uh, you know, I'm happy in my personal life, like fulfilled, uh, and that those the times in my day that I am spending at work are fruitful, um, efficient and uh, um, uh, you know help to make you know the world a better place w- at whatever capacity that is. Not sure there's anything left to be said after that. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. I, I uh, thank you so much for being here, Dan. This is a, a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, my pleasure. I yeah I can't yeah I can't tell you how happy I am to be here too, and how terrified I was. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did great. <laughs> Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.